Okay, uh, not only is it Memorial Day weekend, but it's also Pentecost Sunday. And um, I'm not going to be teaching on Pentecost because every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday at Granite Creek, right? Amen. So, all right, so we're going to be looking, we're going to be looking at worship today. We're going to be looking at uh, uh, why it's important. And actually, um, victory comes through worship. Like if you, I mean, if you want victory in your life, like, it, I mean, I don't know, if you want to win, like I'm really competitive, so I always want to win. But if you, I mean, like if you're just lacking breakthrough and if you're lack, if you're just having a difficult time in certain areas where you just feel like you're always hitting that ceiling and you need victory in your life, worship is the key. It really is. And so it's something that we shouldn't, uh, the whole concept of us being entertained is, is completely foreign. And actually it's a lie from the enemy of God because worship is for him. Worship is directed towards him. So when, we, when we're singing, we are in the band. I don't know if you get that, but we're in the band. It's like one big choir. It's, it's what it, it, is, it, is, it is for and unto the Lord. And, and what we know, that some of the major themes of the Bible and how worship is incorporated in, especially into victory, is Judah, it, the, you know, the tribe of Judah. That literally translates into praise and worship. And who were the first people that would win into battle? They always sent Judah first. They always, sent, they always sent Judah, they always sent praise ahead because they knew that praise was the secret to victory. Think of the walls of Jericho. I mean, what, what brought the walls down? It was, this, it, was this, it was this shout. And theologians even push it. It was an act of worship. It was a, it was a, it was a communication, uh, a vocal communication, and, and through the horns that brought them victory, that brought the, 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 the walls down. And more specifically... Just think about Paul and Silas in the jail. What did they do? They, they sang hymns, and it, it, it broke their chains. It gave them victory. They, they stayed in the cell, right? They, because because they, they wanted more. They wanted, to save, they wanted to save the jail or they were about to kill themselves. So they were set free, but yet they stayed. That's another, that's another message. So victory is so key. And, uh, and with, uh, worship is so key to our victory. And so now we're going to take a look at, uh, I got the Lord's arrows of victory. And so let's take a look at Kings. And this is a, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever preached on this. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 14. And this is the story of, this is Elisha. This is his last, this is his last prophecy. And if you know your Bible, you know that, Elisha, uh, he, he took over for Elijah. And he said, I want a double portion of what you have. And so when, uh, when the chariots of fire and the horses of fire came down, they separated Elijah and Elisha. And then Elijah, Elijah was taken up into the sky by a whirlwind. Elisha got the double portion. He took his clothes off and he put Elijah's clothes on. And if you study the Bible, you'll see that Elijah performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did. So there's something to it. There's something special. And this is his last prophetic word. Now, of course, there's a bad king involved. His name is Joash, okay? Verse 14, Now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Joash, the king of Israel, went down to meet him, and he wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horses, the horsemen of Israel. 
Elijah said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elijah put his hands on the king's hands. Now open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. Elijah says, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Armon. Elijah declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. And Elijah told them to strike the ground, and he struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him, and he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. So this is really interesting to me. So, okay, first of all, Joash, the king, uh, uh, he was not a good king. Uh, he was he's one of these, you know, the ones that didn't do too good. The ones that he, he, uh, he was okay with uh, worshiping other gods. He was okay in, in allowing people to worship in other places outside of the temple. He was okay that people made up their own rules and how they wanted to worship. He, was, he wanted to be tolerant and accepting of everybody. And that's, that's how he ran his kingdom. But he knew something. Like, he, was, he had information. He knew who Elijah was. And he knew that when Elijah was on his deathbed, he needed to make a connection with him. Because, like all good kings, he wanted what? What do kings want? He wanted power. And who had power? Who had this double anointing? I mean, if you read what Elijah did, it's, it's, mind, it's mind-boggling what he did. And so, so the king knew. He knew that Elisha did not have a, a successor. He didn't have anybody that he was passing on his anointing to. He, he, Elisha didn't have a Padawan learner, right? He probably had a school of prophets, and he probably imparted his gifts onto a number of different people. But there was not one person that was going to get the mantle of Elisha, and so the king knew about it, and he wanted it. And that's why he showed up on his deathbed. He wanted some extra power, right? And who doesn't? I mean, who doesn't? Now, I don't know if you noticed, but what does he say? He says, um, Father, Father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Now, when I, when I first read that, my, my initial thought was, wow, okay, well, this is showing where the king's priorities are. The king's priorities are in things of power, right? The, the king's priorities are, they're in, they're in horses and chariots and the material goods, like the, the Mercedes and, and the money and the power and the influence. It, that's what, his, that, that's what his, 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 his desire is, right? That's what you would think. And that is true. That is, that is partially true. But you need to know something about this king. He's very smart and he's very savvy because what he's actually doing, he's actually playing Elijah because when Elijah took the mantle from Elijah, Elisha said these very same words to Elijah. Because as the chariots of fire are coming down, Elijah says to Elijah, Father, Father, the chariots of fire and the horsemen of Israel. So he was captivated by the presence of God. And so the king quotes him. He's after his anointing. He's saying, I want to be what you were. But see, here's the problem. God was not well pleased with this man. Even though this man knew about God, understood God, understood how things get passed on from God, 
There was a, there was a, there was a sickness in his heart. His motivations weren't right. And Elijah puts him to the test. Shoot the arrow of victory out the window, right? To the east. What does the east mean? Uh, uh, who knows? Uh, that's where the sun rises, right? Uh, that's where the enemy was. The enemy came from the east. So it could be a couple of different things. We don't know. It doesn't say. But what's really important is his attitude towards worship. And we know that this king had a bad attitude towards worship because he adopted different forms of worship that were not of God. And it gets reflected in the way that he shoots the arrows. I was going to get a bow and an arrow, but I was too cheap for that illustration. So I did. I was like, I'd have to get like one of those compound bows to shoot it into this floor. But it just wasn't going to happen. But he only shoots three, right? He only shoots three arrows. And right there, he determines his success. Elijah says, okay, you right there. That, that, that's how emotional you are about worship. You're only going to shoot three arrows. If he would have shot five or six, because I didn't tell you how many to shoot, now did I? I didn't tell you when to stop. Simon said, right? Remember Simon says? Simon didn't say stop at three. Simon said to keep on going. And I think that a lot of our, our American approach to Christian worship is that we stop, right? Or we have this apathetic approach to worship. Like we know God. We understand God. We know what he can do. We understand his toys. But we have this apathetic approach to worship. We, we, we fall short. And as a result... We don't have victory in our lives. All right. Now, the key, one of the most important scriptures on worship is Psalms 95. And you all know it, whether you don't know the address or not, but you've all heard this Psalms. It, is, it, it, best, it best describes what worship is. Psalms 95, verse 5. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music. For the Lord is great. God, the king above all gods, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen all that I had did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation, and I, made, and I said, They are a people whose hearts have, go, have gone astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. Okay, this is an interesting verse. There's a lot to it. And it actually tells us, it tells us what worship is. It tells us why it's important. And more importantly, it tells us how we worship, like the skills to worship. So first of all, what, what is worship? 
I mean, I kind of alluded to it a little bit. It's, it's not for us. It's not entertainment. I hope we can get that one down. It's not entertainment. It is for the Lord. So actually, you, you bring in worship into this house, into this building. When you enter into the gates of thanksgiving and through his, in the halls of praise, you, you bring it in. It is something that you ought to be carrying throughout the week. But the ultimate definition of worship is what we ultimately value. Like, what's the most important thing in your life? The most important thing in your life is what we worship. I can't answer this for you, but is it the Lord? Uh, you know, most of you that, that, have, that have been around, you know that I was an antique dealer back in the day. And, um, you know, what's an antique worth? It's worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And um, I remember the Antique Roadshow. You guys watch the Antique Roadshow? And somebody would bring in, like, a baseball. And it's like, oh, we used to play with this baseball, and you know, it's got this signature on it. And so we just, you know, what the heck? Let's just take it into the Antique Roadshow. And, you know, we used to hit it around, in, you know, the ballpark all the time. And, and then you would see, you would see the, the appraiser or the dealer or whoever it was. And he, so he'd have this baseball. And he would, his countenance would change. He'd be like, oh, and he would get excited about it because he understood the worth of what was brought in. He's like, don't you, don't you realize what you have? You have an autographed Babe Ruth baseball. And the person that brought it in is like, oh my gosh, I knew it was a baseball, but I didn't understand its value. I remember I was in, I was in, I was in France, and uh, I was on a buying trip. I'd spent all my money. Uh, I was completely broke. I wandered into this really random curiosity shop out in the middle of nowhere, and then there's a dining room set. I'm like, oh! It's like, they don't know what they have. <laughs> they have, and there was also a Galilee vase in there, too. And I charged that sucker. Don't ever do this. <laughs> don't ever, ever do this. Don't ever buy on an impulse like this. But see, I knew exactly what it was. I understood its value, and it took my breath away, Right? And I was willing to pay. I was willing to, to, to pay money that I did not have to get it. I was like, I know what it is. And I, actually, I sold it before it got to America. That's because I understood the value of it. I also ran, <laughs> I ran across a statue, an iron statue of Pandora, this gal, this, this Greek goddess holding a box. Hmm? And she's opening up the box, releasing evil into the world, like kind of like Eve, right? Remember last week? Um, and it was signed by Eiffel. Yes, Eiffel Tower person. And the guy wanted $30,000 for it. And I didn't have $30,000. And, and I took a picture of it. And I showed it to my friend in Pasadena, another dealer. And he said, I would have given you 250 for it. And his, his, when he saw the picture, his, his, he, he, his countenance changed. And so what is worship? It is assigning, 
and realizing okay, what it is that we are placing ultimate value in. That, that is worship, and it is responding in kind. So, I mean, for me, as an antique dealer, it could be really easy to worship objects, especially if I know what they're worth, and especially if they're beautiful and they're cool, right? I know what they're worth, and I'm willing to spend whatever it takes to get it. I want to be around the object. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I will do anything to get around that, that object. This is why antique dealers get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and they hit the streets because they're looking for that find. They're driven. They're desired to have it. Okay, so that's the one thing. It's, okay, that's, it's a rough definition of what worship is. Um, the, the term worship, it, it, it comes from the old English term uh, worth-ship. So worth, what it is worth Worthship. So what are you willing to pay for it? What are you willing to pay for God's presence? That's what, that's what worship is. Worthship. That's the literal definition of it. Okay, so maybe we have a general idea of what worship is now. Why? Why do we have to have it? Some people say, well, you know what? I, I just don't need to worship God because I'm just fine. But here's the thing. Um, whether you realize it or not, you're worshiping something. Even if you don't believe in God, even if you're a full-blown atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, Sikh, whatever you might be, you worship something, even if you're an atheist. What do atheists worship? Well, I mean, they could worship money. They could worship their, themselves. They can worship relationships. They can worship material objects. They can, they can even worship their own families. You'll worship something in this world. A lot of people will focus on, you know, what makes them happy or what makes them fulfilled. And so maybe they'll, they'll completely identify with a relationship. Okay, if I, and, and you know people like this, like uh, people that are drawn into relationships. Where that's where they find their identity. That's where they find their, their self-worth. They find their self-worth in other people. Okay, think about high school. Think about those persons that they had to date, right? Like they didn't feel complete and fulfilled unless they were dating somebody. And what happens when she broke up with him? Like his whole world fell apart, right? It's because they put ultimate worth and ultimate value in that relationship. And when that relationship ended, their world fell apart. Okay, vice versa. I've known people that, that are in relationships and like, so you guys broke up? It's like, yeah, we broke up. Aren't you sad? It's like, no, not really. But didn't you love her? Yeah, I did, but I know that there's something better. Or it, You know what? It's just life, and it's not that big of a deal, right? You, you know what I'm talking about, where they just, you know, relationships are important, but they're not going to destroy them if, they, if it falls through the cracks. Same type of person. Okay, maybe they don't, have, they don't worship relationships, but maybe they worship money, right? What happens when stockbrokers lose everything? They start jumping off buildings, right? It's because they know that that is their worth. Their worth is on how well they do in the market, how much money they have. And when, it, when, it, when the bottom falls out in the market, they jump off buildings. It's tragic, isn't it? John Maxwell said it best. He said, okay, you want to know what you worship? 
Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to ask yourself this question. John Maxwell asked me this, not directly, but you want to know what you worship? You take a look at your calendar, and you take a look at your checkbook. That's what you worship. It's tough, isn't it? It's a tough question to ask, but it is true. Oh, I just didn't feel the presence of God today in worship. I don't know. Check your calendar. Check your checkbook. Right? So what is worship? It's where we, you know, what we find identity in. Why? You're going to worship something. How? How do we worship? Now, in, in this Psalms, it says, come you can easily miss this if you read it. Come, let what? Come, let, come, let, uh, what? Us. Now, yeah, you can worship on your own, and American Christianity is really good at doing this. We like to worship on our own terms. We'll go from church to church, experience to experience, and, and, and we develop our own personalized worship thing that we do ourselves. But the, the scriptures are very clear that we are to worship in community. So come, let us worship. Community is important. Come, let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Let us bow down in his presence. Okay? Okay, so there is a, an emotional response to worship. There is also a response to the will. Come, let us kneel. Uh, that one is tough. Because what it is saying is it, is, it is a force of your will to worship and to do it skillfully and to do it well. And in essence, you have to, sometimes you don't feel like worshiping. Can I get an amen? Like you're tired. You stayed up too late. Like you drank five Red Bulls the day before and you're done. Right? You're just coming in. You're going to be, you're whatever. You're buzzed. I can't say that in church. Um, it is a force of will that you have to say, okay. I am going to kneel before the Lord, our God, my maker, our maker. Um, not only do you have to do that, you also have to come to terms. This is a skill that we have to do. You actually have to surrender. There, there is a huge element of surrender, a, a surrender to truth in worship. You cannot worship skillfully unless you're, you're completely dedicated and willing to surrender to the Word of God. You can't write your own book, folks. And you definitely cannot worship in community if you're writing your own Bible, if you're writing your own set of rules, because that's going to that's gonna bring in disunity into the body if people are worshiping different gods, right? This is why the Unitarian Church isn't doing so hot right now. Because it was a great, fluffy idea. Come, let us worship together with tolerance and, and open-mindedness, and we all can make up our own gods, and, and you can bring whatever you want in, and we'll all do it. It was a great thought for a moment, but the, 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 the idea failed. They're trying to resurrect it again. It's going to fail again. The only thing that's going to go from glory to glory is the church of Jesus Christ, because there's unity and truth in it. How are we to worship? We are to worship in spirit and in truth. And we are, to emotion, we are to worship with, well, we're to worship, you know, with our minds and with our will in community. 
and through emotion too. Like this haphazard, unemotional thing. Now I get it because I'm a reserved, kind of quiet type of guy, right? So like what you see me doing here on Sunday morning is actually more than I would do at a rock concert because I'm just kind of one of these whatever. I'm just not the most exciting guy to take to a rock concert. But I know in order for me to push into the presence of God, I've got to make my body worship. Hmm? Is it, is it, well, Josh, you're just, it's just fake emotions. No, it's not. Because I'm, I'm not a feeling Christian. I'm a believing Christian. And what the believing Christian says is, you, get your, you raise your hands, men of God. That's what the Bible says. And so I don't get to dictate what the Bible says. I'm going to obey it. I'm going to raise my hands whether I feel like it or not. Because I'm a believer. The most, the person that I think that is really excited about worship, that hits us on an emotional level, is Ryan. And he's going to wrap up the service for us. Okay. The whole time Josh was speaking, I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't say what I was going to say. <laughs> no. Um, let's pray. Are, how are you guys doing? That, I'm stoked. I want to just worship right now, but um, I have a little bit of something. So Jesus, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for this mystery of what worship is. And somehow when we ascribe you worth, you do something in us. And you've designed it this way. You're so about us being outside of ourselves, outside of self-interest. You've designed it this way. And you've put yourself in the center of everything. So we just ask, Lord, that you would just continue um, just to reveal a little bit about what this is, what worship is, Lord, and let us enter into it together. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. I'm going to set an alarm because that's what I do. Otherwise, I'll just keep talking and the second service will come in. It'll be, it'll be embarrassing. Um, amen. Yeah, I, I love what Josh was saying and we were talking about worship. And, um, my biggest thing is I have so much going on inside of me when I think about worship. I would love to just tell you everything. <laughs> So when I was talking to the Lord about it, I was like, I just want to say everything, and I, 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 we don't have time. So I'm going to give you just a little bit. We're going to focus on one thing, and what we're focusing on isn't the entirety of it. Okay, so this isn't, what I'm saying today isn't like, oh, I guess that's what worship is. It's so infinite. It's so vast. You know, we can try to quantify it or make it small, but it just keeps getting bigger and keep, things keep getting revealed to us. As we're in the presence of God, all of a sudden there's revelation. Um, I want to talk about the priesthood of the believer today. We heard today about a really bad king, you know, um, and according to, according to uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? So not only are we kings, better kings than the man that we heard about earlier <laughs> who just struck the floor three times, we're better kings now, but we're also priests. This was something that didn't occur in the Old Testament. A king was never a priest in the Old Testament. 
But now we have this new covenant through the blood of Jesus where we're royalty, right? We have authority in the earth and we're a priest. And what does that mean to us as believers to be priests? And what I want to talk about this morning is when we come in together in a Sunday morning worship, we're not just singing songs. We're actually doing part of our mission in the earth. We actually are ministering unto the Lord. As a priest, we're called to minister to him and minister to the nations. You know that some of the stuff that's going on in the earth right now is Christians aren't doing a very good job representing him. And, and when the, the world should look at the believing church and say, oh my gosh, this is what God is worth. Like, like Pastor Josh was saying, worthship. We give him what is due his name. And when the world looks at us and sees us worshiping, they're like, oh my gosh, who is this God? These people are over the top. And the truth is, we're so limited by our human bodies <laughs> to worship him. But God's done something in worship that we can express ourselves to him. And we'll talk about one of them. There's so many things. He actually, there's commands in the book of Psalms of how to worship him. He tells us how. Through David, through some of the, uh, the Old Testament priests, we hear how the Lord likes to be worshiped. We didn't come up with singing on our own. The Lord said, sing to me. Shout to me. Lift your hands to me. Now bow down before me. This is what the Lord's saying. Dance. Whoa, okay. We're not going to talk about that today. But I mean, that's just like, you know, you could go from like, clap your hands. This isn't even a great rhythmic thing that we do because it makes worship leaders feel great. Like, ooh, they're clapping their hands. This is so great. No, it's actually in the Bible. These aren't just really great ideas. They're God ideas. And he's actually locked truth in these things, in these postures. We may think that we're just lifting our hands, but according to the Bible, it says we're actually lifting our hearts to him. We're actually surrendering to him. We're actually lifting him up, right? We think we're just singing songs, but there's something about singing his truth that accesses something in our heart that just speaking can't do. You ever heard a song and you cannot get it out of your head, you know? That Lego movie, Everything is Awesome song, it's like out of control. My little daughter just had a ballet recital on Friday and she danced to that song. And she's three. So, um, and I can't get that song out of my head. Everything is awesome, everything, you know. There's something the Lord, did you know that most of this book is actually an oral tradition that the Jewish people sang to get it in their hearts? The Lord knows there's some kind of connection between song and our heart. And so he knows it's good for us to sing the truth about who he is. Not only does it declare who he is and everyone who hears it is like, who is this God? King of kings, he reigns forever. He's holy. He knows it's good for us to sing these things. Okay, man, I'll keep going. The time is going away. <laughs> So we are called to minister to Jesus. We are called to minister Jesus to the nations. Amen? So I just want to talk to us a little bit about the priesthood. And then um, Josh touched on some things. And I'm so excited because I could just get to kind of springboard off of it. What it costs you, right? He was talking about the value of things and what the perceived value is and what would be spent. And this is our time as a corporate body to come together and declare by how we're giving what he's worth. And so in the Old Testament, there's... The, the amazing, riveting book of Leviticus, right? Well, I mean, it's just riveting. We, it's a page turner, you know? Whenever I'm in that and I'm reading through the Bible and I hit Leviticus, I'm like, this is gonna be a slow season. 
But there's something in there, the preparation of the sacrifice is so huge. And we come in sometimes, I'm saying we, this is all of us. We come in on a Sunday morning sometimes and there's no preparation in the sacrifice. We're kind of like, hey, worship leader. (laughs) I just want to say this and this is like worship leaders everywhere are going to hate this. But worship leading actually isn't in the Bible. In the New Testament church, there wasn't a worship leader. Everyone just came with a song. And they came together and just erupted in praise. But, but now we come in with no preparation of a sacrifice and look to the worship leader and be like, lead me. <laughs> Which is great. You know, I mean, it works out. God's using it. But there's something about coming in with our hearts ready to offer something to him. This is part of our priestly ministry. I just want to encourage you, we're not coming in to sing songs. We're coming to minister to the Lord. Because he loves it. And we're going to do our best to know this word so we know how he likes it. You know, when I was dating my wife, I had to learn how she liked things. God is such a relational God. And he's so good to us to let him, let us know what he likes, you know. I had to sit down and have dinner and meals with my then girlfriend. What's your favorite color? What do you like? Are you, what's your love language? Anyone know those? um. And the Lord is no different. We come into his presence. We begin to know what he likes. Oh, you love it when we sing this to you. Oh, this is who you are. You love it when we come. You love it when we lift our hands. And when we lift our hands, all of a sudden we start feeling, I mean, there's just so much going on, right? I I wish I could say everything that's going on. I don't even know everything that's going on. Amen. So Hebrews, I'm going to go through just a little bit of sacrifice stuff, okay? Hebrews 13, 11 through 16, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place. We'll just jump in, okay? As a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we look for the city that is to come. I'm reading fast, amen. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. This is part of how he's going to get the job done. If a lost person meets you and you tell them you're a Christian and they come in on Sunday and they see you worship and your hands are in your pocket. <laughs> and I, Josh and I were talking, I've, I've met people, I love these, I love everybody, I love people, the people of God. But you run into people who are just like, I'm just not an expressive person. I just don't express myself that way. I should be able to worship the way I want to worship. And I'm like, sure, okay, we can go there. But then I'm over at your house on Super Bowl Sunday, and your team scores a touchdown, and you jump off the couch, and your hands are like this. And then I'm like, whoa, I thought you weren't expressive. Right? (laughs) Right? I think what we need to see is the touchdown that was scored. I think we need to see what the blood of the lamb purchased for us. And I think a revelation of what the priesthood of the believer needs to come back to us and realize when we come to church on Sunday, we didn't come to hear Pastor Josh minister to us. We came as a body to minister to him. You know what he likes this. You know what he likes us to be excited about what he did. And I know that, I love this. I heard this quote and it rocked me because I'm part of a generation that's all about being authentic right? 
And Joshua's even talking about like, is that fake emotion? And this one quote, this guy named Wes Hall, he said that a generation is missing out on faith and they're calling it being authentic. Because see, faith is the evidence of things unseen. So if I just stand up here and tell you everything I see or feel, you know, I'm going to sing a slow song because I feel depressed this morning. And the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, but I'm like, but I don't feel that way. When I rejoice, I'm actually operating in faith. Because my response is about who he is, not who I am. Worship is not about who I am. Worship, about, worship is about who he is. And when I come in and I line myself up during songs, when we're singing, I'm lining myself up and I'm saying, you are holy, you are holy, you are holy. And I'm lining myself up under the proper headship of God, something happens in me. And I leave a little happier. <laughs> well, probably a lot happier, if we're honest, right? But there's something about that. I just want to encourage you, it's not fake, it's faith. If we're doing it believing, it's fake if you're just like, I guess everyone's raising their hand, so I better raise my hand so I'm not left out. But if you're like, I'm raising my hands because I believe in the word, and the word says lift up your hands in the sanctuary, and the word says I would that all men would lift holy hands, right? And so I'm going to line up, I'm going to do Bible right now. This is actually Bible, right? And when we dance, if dancing breaks out, hallelujah, you know, when we dance, we're not just dancing because the song's great and we want to dance. The dance, there's stuff going on. You know, it says in Zephaniah 3, 17, it says that he sings over us and rejoices over us, the Lord. And that rejoicing is actually dance. The Lord's dancing over us. And this isn't just like really sweet language or like poetic language, right? And so when we do that, we're reflecting who he is. He sings. He rejoices. He delights. Amen? You guys okay? <laughs> Romans 12, 1 through 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Again, this is all in view of his mercy, in view of the sacrifice, in view of the blood of Jesus. I, I've been a believer for 15 years, I think, something like that. I still feel like a super baby believer. But every time I hear the gospel and the message of what the blood of Jesus accomplished, I'm like that guy jumping off my chair and lifting my hands. I'm like, he did it! <laughs> right? Amen. Don't worry, we're going to get you up and we're going to start worshiping soon. So sacrifice must cost us something. The very word sacrifice means that something must die. <laughs> right? Those are fun things to say. There's something about bringing a, a sacrifice on Sunday morning that means that something is going to change. So here in 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 25, you're going to hear me read some scripture really fast again. This is the story of Jesus, I'm Jesus. David did a no-no in the Old Testament, and he numbered the fighting men. He knew it was a no-no. He did the no-no. Some stuff broke out. Okay, we don't have time to go into that. But the Lord allowed him. To, uh, he said, go up and make a sacrifice. So he, this is where we pick up. 
to end, there's a plague in the land. So it says, on that day, Gad went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And when Aruna looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king and his face to the ground. Aruna said, why has the Lord the king come to his servant to buy your threshing floor? Talk about a good king, okay, David? I can't get into that. Maybe we'll talk about it another time. David answered, so I can... Uh, why did you, to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague would be stopped. And Aruna said to David, Lord, Lord, the king, take whatever you wish, um, whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here's an oxen for you. Here's threshing sledges, ox yokes for wood. Your, your majesty, Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. And then here's the thing. David says, but the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. It has to cost something. And sometimes when we're just getting into it, sometimes it, the cost is just feeling a little bit like a fool, okay? <laughs> a little bit of it is, is our pride, you know? A little bit of it is like, well, I feel really weird. And we're not, I'm doing this because you said, Lord, I feel a little strange, you know. We do a song where people are jumping up and down. Okay, I'm going to enter into this. I'm going to feel a little bit foolish. It's going to cost you something. But there's something the Lord has linked to this. I don't, we don't fully get it. But there's something that he's linked to the raising of hands that we feel more surrendered after. When someone pulls a gun on you and they say, lift up your hands, it's very normal. But there's some, yes, Amen. I see you, timer. There's something the Lord has put in this position that makes us feel surrendered. We're totally open, right? There's something about jumping up and down and rejoicing in him and getting excited. I mean, when we celebrate people or when we go to dances when we were in high school, we don't do dances anymore, right? When we're older, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. But when you're celebrating something, there's a joy in the celebration, right? There's something about dancing that afterwards you're like, man, that was so much fun. And the Lord wants us to have those feelings in his presence. Whoa, God was awesome today. Remember when we were all dancing together you know, in the presence of God? He wants that from us. He wants that celebration. I'm coming to a close. You guys are doing so well. So I just wanted to talk about one thing, and Josh hit on the kneeling, and so I just wanted to talk about lifting hands, okay? Because this is kind of one, when you come in and you're seeing people express themselves in worship, usually lifting hands is one that's commonly seen. And so I just wanted to encourage us that it's biblical and everyone's okay. And then I also wanted to encourage us when we're in this last time of worship just to try it out. Right? We're just going to see what the truth of the Bible is, and we're going to do it. We did this thing a long time ago. My wife and I, we were um, teaching at a worship conference, and we had a bunch of young people. And all we did, basically, was take every aspect of worship, bowing, kneeling, clapping, lifting hands, singing, shouting, and we taught on it, and then we just did it. And we, it was just obedience. There's a scripture that says, to obey is better than sacrifice. Right? We just talked about sacrifice. So, but we're just going to do it this, this morning and just do it. Some of it's just going to be straight obedience. Some of us are going to be like, I get it. I'm going in. Let's go for it. And for, the, for those of you, let's go for it. For those of you that are just like, I don't know about this, but I'm just going to try it in obedience to the word of God. Amen? So I'm just going to give you some scriptures, fuel for the fire, and then we're just going to do it. Yeah. All right? You guys with me? Yeah. Are you okay? Is anyone slightly scared? Yeah. We're okay. All right. Amen. 
Psalm 141, one through two. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Amen. Oh, you don't have to do it right now. We'll do it when we start singing. Amen. (laughs) Whoa, that was awesome. Okay, Psalm 134, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Okay, real quick, he's talking to priests in the Old Testament. This is us now, amen? I know we have a weird view of priest in this day. There's lots of different priests, but I'm talking about the way that God designed it, okay? All right, Psalm 63, one through five. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Talk about worth, right? David, man. Old Testament David, no Holy Spirit living inside of him, loved God like this. I, I need the Holy Spirit to love God like this, and David loved God like this. Blows my mind. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, hello, Southern California, I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. Whoa. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Whoa. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Wow. (laughs) This is the God we serve. When we come in together, I just want to encourage us as a church, when we come in together, come with excitement. There's one scripture that says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Could you imagine if a whole body of believers, we showed up early and we're like outside that door. We were like, I cannot wait till 930 hits and we are going to go in there and we are going to give Jesus something that I can't give by myself. I've been by myself all week long. Josh said this, us. Come let us worship. I cannot give an us worship by myself. When I'm in, at home in my quiet place, in my secret place, which I want to encourage all of us to do, I cannot give him corporate worship. I was glad when they said to me, let's go. All of us. And the thing I did by myself, I get to do with all of the believers. And this was in his heart from the beginning, that he would have a people in the land that would glorify him and people would look at them and be like, whoa, God is worth something. Look at these people. They cannot be stopped. They will just keep worshiping. Amen. So I'm gonna pray and then Josh is gonna do some stuff and then we're just gonna worship the Lord, amen? So God, we thank you for your worth. We thank you, Lord, that you made us priests. How did this happen? We're Gentiles. That's like a whole other sermon. Get out. What did the gospel do? What did you do? You changed us. We were just regular people, pagans, doing our own thing. And you brought us into a priesthood. Brought us into the very presence of the living God. Allowed us by the blood to come boldly before your throne, Jesus. This is the touchdown of the century. And if we are fans of the cosmic football that is life, you pulled the game changer. And so, God, we come as a body, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate you. We're going to worship you the way that you asked us to. And we're going to give you glory the way you asked to be glory, glorified. Glorified, that was nice. We love you, Jesus. Come in a mighty way in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Just, we did three pastors in less than an hour or an hour. Isn't that amazing? 
How's that happen? It's a miracle. All right, uh, we're gonna. If I could have the ushers come to the front, and we're gonna we're gonna receive the offering today, and then we're gonna go into a time of worship, and then after, I don't know if we're gonna bleed into the next service. We might, but just feel free to stick around as long as you want. Um, and I'm gonna leave you with one last thought. Today's today's Pentecost Sunday. The disciples left Jesus, and they prayed and worshiped continually. Whoa. Right? Okay, here's, a, here's a crazy thought from a Kapczynski head. What, ha- what would have happened if they hadn't have done it? Whoa. If they said, you know what, I really don't feel like doing worship and prayer. Jesus left. I'm depressed. <laughs> would, would the outpouring of the Holy Spirit have happened in Acts 2? The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Yes. If it's not there, is he going to be around? I don't think so. So let's praise, let's worship God this morning. God, right now we pray that you bless this offering, that you can advance the kingdom of God in this city, in this region, throughout the world. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, Lord. Amen.